The cats have nestled into their respective beds. The fire crackles. The fuck are you saying right now? The living room. That can only be one thing. It must be time for Woman. That is not our intro. 100% not our intro. <sighs> that was a good one. That's the sound of the tea kettle. <laughs> no! <laughs> you might as well say that's Ready the sound of the bubble bath. <laughs> no. 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 That's the sound of your bubble bath. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Isabel, <laughs> and this is Womance. My name is Morgan. <laughs> and this is Womance. My name is Isabel. And my name is Morgan. And this is Womance, where we talk about all things romance. Paperbacks. Bodice busters. E-readers. Fan fiction. Whether you're horny or just curious. We'll be talking about all the things you're interested in, (laughs) from Regency to paranormal. Spooky. Spooky, spooky. Today, we're going to start with a classic, Tessa Dare's A Week to be Wicked. Can I ask you something before we kick this off? Mm -hmm. How do you define a classic in this particular genre? Well, I think part of it would be word of mouth. I first heard about A Week to be Wicked from a friend, and I think that's a lot of what's great about the romance genre. Classic also, to me, connotates staying power, and Tessa Dare's been in in the biz for quite some time, New York Times bestselling novelist. You know, I'd also rank Joanna Lindsay in this category, Kathleen What's-Her-Face. Sure. (laughs) A real classic (laughs) author, Kathleen What's-Her-Face. You know what I mean. Yeah. The bodice busters of our mother's moment. That's really good. I like that. Bodice busters of our mother's moment. Mm-hmm. Tessa Dare, I think, has a more broad appeal. Broad appeal? <laughs> I used to have this really embarrassing joke. I would tell people, if folks asked me if I wanted to study abroad, and I'd say, how can I pick just one? Uh, 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 uh. It's a good one. Shut up. <laughs> so this is actually the first romance novel I ever read. Wow. Upon your recommendation. That's incredible. Yeah. And like a different episode where we talk about the first time that we read a romance novel. <laughs> yeah. It's important. Uh, yeah, I was in my 20s. That is crazy to me. Frankly, I've been reading romance, and this is actually a true story. My aunt Maria uh-huh. had a basement room that her husband had built, like, fucking built-ins for her. Mm-hmm. And it was floor-to-ceiling built-ins, three walls entirely covered of paperback romance novels. Wow. I was 13 when she died. She died Mm -hmm. on the night of the eighth grade dance. (laughs) I still went to the dance. Obviously. (laughs) But when we went to go... Because you'd read a romance. Have you read a romance? No, but when we went to go help Uncle Charlie clean out the house, he showed us the romance room, and that was my beginning. That was your beginning. Into romance. Aunt Maria. My grandmother had a couple paperback romances, and the cousins, we would play school, and my oldest girl cousin, Emily, she would always be the teacher, and she picked a romance novel, thinking it was, like, intellectually superior book just because of its thickness. Oh, yeah. They are thick. And she read to us aloud from it. Wow. I I hope just the beginning. 
Uh oh. <laughs> she was open to the middle. Uh, so that was pretty fun. That's intense. Yeah. Anyway, A Week to Be Wicked yeah. is, I think, a perfect romance novel, which is why it's starting out our podcast. Aha! Uh-huh, a perfect romance novel. It is. Is that why you recommended it to me? It is why I recommended it. I love the heroine, Minerva. Min. Yeah. I, we can talk a lot about that, but I want to talk about her name for a minute because. Yeah! yeah. So, like, the idea that you can have a big, long name, like Minerva or Isabeau, for instance, (laughs) and if you can turn it into a super cute and fun nickname that's both at once affectionate and a little bit tough or spunky, Mm -hmm. full of moxie, like, that's an ideal place to center a female character, where she can be two things at once, right? She can be her staid and beautiful name in addition to her spunky and fun side i feel like minerva though isn't isn't meant to be a staid and beautiful name what yeah i feel like it's meant to be a little dated sounding what's her her older sister's name is diana mm-hmm. her name is minerva mm-hmm. but then what's her little sister's name something spunky and it's sybil it's not Sybil. no it's not it's definitely not in the vein of minerva or diana and they're also they're the highwood sisters which is a little bit like the dashwood sisters oh, there's there's a ton of referencing to Jane Austen in this novel, which is both annoying and nice in a lot of ways. And I think Tessa Dare does that, you know, very intentionally and with a lot of delight. So this is the first line. When a girl trudged through the rain at midnight to knock at the devil's door, the devil should at least have the depravity, if not the decency, to answer. And like, Tessa Dare knows how to fucking write a line. Alliteration. <laughs> the devil's door. God, I can't find her little sister's name. It's not a goddess's name. I think it's like Kate. Christina? Here, let me look it up. God, it's going to drive me up the... Fucking wazoo? Out the wall. (laughs) Charlotte. 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 Which is not a... It's not a goddess's name, is it? There's a goddess Charlotte. There's no goddess Charlotte. What happened there? I want want to know... They had Diana, and they were like, she's going to be a goddess, Diana. Mm -hmm. And then they had Minerva. Who must have come out frowning. And they said she's going to be a goddess. But, like, of a different kind. And then they had, by the time they had their third daughter, they were like, we put way too much pressure on these children. Mm -hmm. Well, this one's just going to be Charlotte. I think that also, I mean, Chuck, Charles, or Charlie, which again, Lottie, great nickname potential, which I love about all of these characters. But, like, more than that, I think that speaks to something that, like, is hinted at later in the novel about the dire straits that the Highwood sisters are in, right? Because their father has left them all these debts. They have nowhere to turn. He died, didn't he? He did, leaving them all these debts, which is why they are living the way that they are living. That's a real bummer. And then they also have this mother who is kind of, like, comic relief, but also a source of anxiety in the text. Indeed. Indeed. Like real moms. Like real moms, but also, like, a very intense nod to the Mrs. Bennet. I haven't read one of these books yet, and I'm not as well well healed in the genre as you are. But I, I feel like I haven't read anything yet that didn't have at least a mentioning of difficult mother. Unless the mother's dead. Like, there's never just a nice mom who can... T- oh, that's a lie. I... <laughs> we, could, we could actually do an entire podcast about moms. But I've only encountered one that I can think of to name right now, which is, um, like, falling in love in the summer or something. Hang on. 
the seasonal yes. series. Hey, if you had a series... Secrets if you, of a Summer Night. If you, the mother's nice in that one. If you were to write your own romance series, mm-hmm. what would you title your romance series? The Peace Weaver Trilogy. The Peace Weaver Trilogy? Mm-hmm. Did you already write one? You can't do one you've already written. First of all, no. But second of all... The Peace Weaver sounds like a very specific reference. It is. It's extremely specific. Do you know what? Why would we even try when Castles Ever After Ugh. already exists as a series title? Castles Ever After is a great name for a trilogy. I also love the series Scandal. There are a lot of series around, like, Dukes. And there are a lot of series around, like, oh, Seasons... <laughs> But anyway, Peace Weaver Trilogy, which <laughs> TM, Isabeau, um, this is like, I began thinking about this a few years ago when I was like, the next big thing after vampires is going to be fucking Vikings. And I know it's going to land because like, that's where it's going to go. So it's like, the most interesting thing about Vikings is this way that they would unite their various families and clans through the marriages which isn't all that different from anybody else but like women who did this were called peace weavers and I thought that was a really nice way to say chat lane or chattel or property (laughs) and like these women it was incumbent upon them to keep the peace and like so I was like there's a novel in here about a woman who like chooses to be a peace weaver to save her community and how hard it would be to keep the peace with someone who is just like fucking god awful. Yeah. Well, it, it dovetails nicely with my series title which was going to be Unpaid Labor. <laughs> <laughs> Subtitle Capitalism is Murdering Us All. <laughs> Subtitle Pay for Child Care to <laughs> Stay-at-Home Moms. Nice. Oh, love it. That's good. Mental high five. I mean, getting back to a way to be wicked and women's labor. And women's labor, it's true. But thinking a lot about her labor, Minerva. Yeah, and she really bones down where she works. She bones down hard. She takes a homeboy, Mm, the devil, into her secret cave Mm -hmm. in more ways than one. Mm, On more than one occasion. Let's get down to the real nitty-gritty. What was your favorite love scene? My favorite sex scene? Ooh, good point. Because they're, like, this is one of those moments. Tessa Dare has what I would call a lot of love scenes. And she also has, like, brass knuckle fucking sex scenes. Sex scenes, yeah. I do really love, there's this one, you might know it. I mean, there's so much to love about this. So first of all, our heroine is a geologist of sorts, a paleontologist geologist, because she's interested in the fossils of, like, nautiluses and such ancient sea slugs and snails yeah and there's this beautiful moment when they first run away together accidentally on purpose where she pulls out her hope chest linens yeah and inside are these beautiful sheets that she's been forced to labor over fill her hope chest her mom makes her right because she's never going to marry because she's the ugly duckling la 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 wears glasses and becomes the hottest person you know when she takes them off Um, but the scene where she lays out her bridal sheets is really, it's like a really tender moment where, like, our, our hero, Colin, is, like, 
these aren't for me and I don't deserve to be here and I don't want to soil them because mm-hmm. this is something that she's labored over. And like she is invested in this hope chest, even though it's a thing that she was forced to do by her mother. And I think that's really sweet and like really indicative of the power that Tessa Dare has as like a maestro of the genre. I also enjoyed that scene, but I enjoyed it because of Minerva's prioritizing of her personal, I don't want to save a nice thing for my wedding night. So she puts out the sheets just because she doesn't want to sleep on uncomfortable sheets, which like, if you've got clean sheets, use them. Right. Right? And it kind of sets them up for the sex that comes after that. Yeah. He gets her to take off her shirt. Yeah. And like, no, so going back to my favorite sex scene, it's halfway through the book. They haven't actually had sex yet. And that's one of the other things. Like, Tessa Dare really makes you wait for a full-on sex scene in this novel, but she like, the anticipation is real delicious. Yeah. And so my favorite sex scene is the one where she gives him a blowjob. At the at the gambling Yeah, at the gambling den manner. of iniquity. But the reason I love that scene so much is because she delivers the line, like, I want to investigate your heart as granite member in the name of science. And he's like, in the name of science? Like, she's so in charge of what she's doing. She's got a thing that she's into. It's rocks. <laughs> Hard things. It's hard things. And when she realizes that his uh, sexual organs Mm. are not unlike a rock, Mm. her interest is piqued. I wonder if she ever put a fossil in her mouth. That's such a ridiculous... (laughs) But, like, obviously she has. I want to investigate this. Like a baby Mm. putting stuff in your mouth. (laughs) She does seem to have an oral fixation. (laughs) Uh, My favorite sex scene, not that you asked, Mm. but I'm excited. What's your favorite sex scene? It's the first one in the cave. You call that a sex scene? I call that a sex scene? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's get to that scene. Do you have the page number for us? Also, his last name is Lord Payne. Let's all just, like, (laughs) ponder that a moment, shall uh, we? So, she's in her bathing costume, Mm -hmm. which is just an old dress. Mm -hmm. And she takes him into a cave, and he's Mm -hmm. so scared because he's claustrophobic. Right, because he had an incident as a child. Yeah, and she's like, oh my god, get over it, and yanks him into the cave. So they're in the cave because she wants to show him her dinosaur. Which is the fact that she wants him (laughs) to accidentally, on purpose, ruin her so that she can go to the geological society meeting in Scotland. And she needs a chaperone. Well, she's got to show him the dinosaur so he realizes what a big effing deal this is. Mm-hmm. She's got to show him the ichthyosaurus, probably. Yeah, so Just, I'm gonna read a part sorry, of it. I don't mean to. I don't mean to intimidate you with my dinosaur knowledge. That was really good. I really appreciate dropping ichthyosaurus. So. I really like that she takes him in there to show him her dinosaur. And then they end up making out. They do. They just make out and they cop a feel. Mm. Sure. But I think it's a sex scene. Like, I don't think they're, they're not professing their love to each other and it's like a physical thing. It's not a... This is it. Okay. So then... Deep eye contact. He tells her that he's claustrophobic and the only way that he can sleep at night is by having another body and by being physically exhausted, which is why he has a revolving door of women. He tells her that in the cave? he confesses that to her. It's his curse, as he says. And it worked. God. It really worked. Sweet heaven, she swallowed back a lump in her throat. You must do this all the time, night after <laughs> night. You tell women your tale of woe. And then a little bit further, then came the... She's not saying this facetiously. No. She's like... But she's That's like... important to note. She's like very uh, invested. No, right. And then not really. The tale of woe precedes me. And then they just open their arms and lift their skirts for you. Come, you poor sweet man. Let me hold you. And so forth. Don't they? He hedged. 
sometimes. Minerva knew they did. They must. She felt it happening to her. And he'd related his story, a veritable font of emotion and welled in her chest. Sadness, sympathy. Her womb somehow became involved, sending nurturing impulses coursing through her veins. Everything feminine in her responded to the call. Then came the lies. Her heart told her lies, wicked, insidious falsehoods, resounding with every beat. He's a broken man. He needs you. I like you can heal him. I love that line. Her womb somehow mm. became involved. Oh, I do love this scene because she talks about how it is that she's never desired and that her sister Diana gets all the attention. And then they both have this very vulnerable moment where like he's being real with her. She's shitty to him about it, but only because her womb is involved. I just thought that like, I mean, I love the scene. Right. But and, as, and as a sex scene, I think Tessa Dare in mm. this part, in this portion, does the best job at describing the sensations. Mm-hmm. A thrill chased over her skin, heat between their bodies melting away some of her anxiety. <laughs> he tilted his head exploring her mouth from a new angle. She understood now why he'd compared kissing to dancing. Can I say? He had moves. A great many of them, not just thrusting his tongue in and out, but swirling, toying, and subtly coaxing. I could do with less of the phrase exploring the mouth. Mm, but in this it works, because then he like he's like, it's not like dancing, it's not like dancing, don't worry, don't get anxious. It's an excavation. An excavation? Yes, a proper kiss is like an excavation when you're digging up your little troglodytes. You don't just go plugging your shovel into the soil. Higgledy piggledy, do you? In general, <laughs> this phrase, explored her mouth, mm. comes up a lot in it this does. genre. It does come up and a lot in this genre. Overall, I mm. do not enjoy it. Preach. I do not enjoy the I idea like anything of anything explored like, too heavily in general. Not an exploration. It's like a hike. <laughs> Which I just don't know what... I imagine all the terrible places someone could put their tongue in another person's mouth, and I feel like the likelihood of it happening increases tenfold whenever you think of it as an exploration. Hard agree. However. Oh, so much. Oh, I will tell you. That my soft palate. In Cosmo, I was just about to say this. No. Your soft palate is very ticklish. And one of the things that Cosmo, as a young person, told me to do was lick the soft palate of the inside of my lover's oh my mouth. Did someone vomit on you, Isabel? No one vomited. But they it did. was the worst eighth grade dance ever. They did tell me to stop. Very politely. They're like, I'm not into that. I was like, That's lesson nice. learned. I've kissed a lot of nice guys. No, we're going back again. You never thought, like, maybe this guy is just a weirdo. No, I was definitely like, this is weird. Because also, like, the overextension of your tongue into someone's soft palate. It's like, it it's a real you. reach. It's a real reach. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like one of the strengths of Tessa Dare is that she doesn't have her characters reach uncomfortable bodily angles to achieve pleasure. It seems you very natural. I've never thought of it before, mm. but I guess... Uh, if I ever read a sex scene in which someone reached an uncomfortable angle, mm-hmm. I would notice it. Mm-hmm. But since it never happens, it I never don't. Happens. It's one of those things that when you're doing it well. Yep. It's like a perfectly choreographed dance. So let's talk about Minerva. I gotta say, I, I like the name Minerva, but I don't think it was a chosen as a name. Because it's like a romantic name. No, I think it was chosen in the same vein. Minerva, like McGonagall, right? It's stately, staid, a little bit, a little bit up to your neck. But guess what? Minerva turns into Minnie. She does, and she turns into Min even more particularly, which I think is just so cute. I also love that he calls her Pigeon. 
Pigeon's pidge. a cute name. It is. I Pigeon's enjoy it. Good, it reminds me of uh, the French term of endearment. Yeah. Mon pouce. Yeah. My flea. Or mon petit chou. My little cabbage. My little cabbage. Yeah, I think pigeon is great, and in that vein. But also men, and the way that Colin Payne, Lord Payne, who's about to come into his majority, says it, he says it with this kind of admiration. And I think it's just super fucking hot when men talk to women with admiration. Aww. I like that he has a whole notebook full of alternative names. He doesn't really forget her name. Ever. Which, how would you forget the name Minerva? Exactly. So he has a notebook of names to just get under her skin, so yeah. he calls her Melanie and Marissa, and he has like a hundred M names. Also, I learned a lot of M names from this book. What's a new one you learned? Melissa. Yeah. Never met a Melissa. <laughs> never met a Melissa life. in my life. I wish I'd never met a Melissa in my life. <laughs> yeah. uh, Shout out to the Melissas! <laughs> High five! We, we don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't like you in high school because you were mean to us. <laughs> Morgan. Oh, M names. M names. Uh, he never calls her Morgan, which fine. He calls her Morgana once. Yeah. He's, he's an interesting hero, but, like, going back to Minerva, our heroine, she wears glasses, she's this paleontologist, geologist, she has a hope chest where she's sewn very nerdy nautiluses into her sheets. Yeah, she embroiders nautiluses. Those mm-hmm. sheets sounded super nice. They sounded so good. Yeah. Yeah. I want a hope I'm glad we both. Full of sea creatures. And yeah, like, so my favorite sex scene is the blowjob because mm-hmm. of the line, and I'd love to find it. Where she says it's for science, like don't be such yeah, a yeah, yeah. prim. She so tells him to stop being such a prude. Yeah. Stop being such a prude. Let me put it in my mouth. Yeah. This is what I do with all my scientific interrogations. <laughs> it's an interesting way of initiating. It's a, it is like it's fascinating to me. Like, how do you? It's a strange juxtaposition. We certainly don't live in a world where our instinct towards oral sex is instinctual, right? Like, I've never... We know that that's a thing. Yeah. We were teacher's pets. People made that gesture towards us long before. (laughs) Indeed, we were. That's true. So I think it's really interesting whenever uh, romance novels are like... Or authors feel the need to explain why someone would want to put genitals in their mouth. And I love that Tessa Dare's solution is she's a scientist. Mm -hmm. Scientists want to explore things, try things, discover the inner workings of things. Mm -hmm. So she's going to put it in her mouth. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a leap there. Here's here's the thing, though. (laughs) I'm like, do you mind? Like, I want to read the beginning and the end of this scene because I think it's both strangely sexy and it's strangely intimate. And, like, this is one of the things that, like... When I first began reading romance novels, one of the things that struck me, especially about the older ones, is that they always start with straight up P and V penetration, boring missionary. Very, very seldomly would they do girls on top. But they always started with sex proper and not like all of the things you do around sex. Right. And so like this is a moment where I think it's really good because like when you're first learning, you don't jump straight to missionary, right? Like, you explore a lot. And, like, this is a book about exploration. Yeah, that's true. I also want to want to say sex proper. We're not saying there's a proper Right. Order. Yeah, I'm, yes. Outside of... Right. P and V. Yeah. Uh, Good old boring P and V. 
there's got to be a better name. Penetrative could be digitally penetrative. That's that's why P and V. Yeah, I know. I'm just trying to think like what's the actual like what's the actual term for it? Missionary? No, like the clinical term. Copulation. Like, is P and V? Yeah. That's procreative copulation. Procreative copulation. <laughs> yeah, and so like this is where she's talking about his cock. I quite <laughs> like your cock. Smooth as talc on the outside. She slid her hand up and down again. But like granite beneath, he laughed a strange ha ha ha. I may die of this laugh. Well, we both know how you love rocks. I do love rocks, as a matter of fact. A she's drunk, smile. by the way. She is totes. I find them utterly fascinating. I'm forever taking them in hand, exploring their every ridge and contour. She skimmed a petal soft fingertip over the head of his cock, tracing the flared ridge of the crown and the dewy slit at the tip. (laughs) Then her touch teased down his length all the way to the root. Some of them have very interesting veins. I don't suppose you ever, in the name of science, of course... Put those utterly fascinating objects in your mouth. Oh, he suggested. She froze. What? He slapped a hand over his eyes. This, this, this is why he had rules about oh, virgins. okay. The lewd request had just flowed out of him in a lascivious drawl. I'm drunk, men. He waved his hand in dismissal. Forget I said anything. He brings it on. How could I forget that you said that? Her okay. hand gripped his cocktail as if she could wring an answer from its tip. <laughs> I think where romance novel sex scenes really succeed is when they're being like super visceral. I think any time there's like an attempt at something cerebral, they sort of fall apart. But that's also why like popular novelists, right, suck at writing love scenes because they try to make it completely cerebral. Right, and it's like as physical as you can be in your corporeal meat sack. Like you are just literally in it so hard. Hopefully, like that you are living in your body. So like a good romance novel that just like accepts that it's not tumbling over a cliff edge or like into deep water. It's like all of my nerve endings are on fire. Yeah, I how does uh I didn't go through and note this in this text, but does any particular description of an orgasm stand out to you? Did you note anything? Mm. You know what's weird about this book? I feel like Colin's orgasms are described more flowery than Minerva's. Mm. And the reason I say this is because when they get to straight up procreative copulation, <laughs> Tessadere doesn't shy away from the fact that like this is not pleasurable for Minerva. And, yeah. Like, you know, he's like, are you okay? And she, you know, is there anything that I can do? And she's like, can you make it good when they first have actual P&B sex? And I thought that was, like, a real hurtful thing to hear. I mean, they trust each other at this point, if you can't be honest when you're... Can you not suck at this? Penis isn't someone else. Like, when can you be honest? What can I do to make this better for you? Be better at it? Be better at it. Like, you're not the virgin in this. Like, lead on, dear friend. (laughs) Dear friend. But yeah, I think, like, what was... What's great about this is that because Minerva is clinical and scientific and mathematical, like, the way in which her body is described through the lens of her telling in this close third person narration because one of the great strengths of this novel romance novels in general is that it switches perspectives close third with our heroine and then our hero and Minerva's is like much less flowery than Colin's Mm -hmm. which also makes it stand out in the romance novel genre oh yeah like Colin is like all feeling and Minerva's all 
clinical exploration. Yeah. I really love Minerva. I think she's, I think she really is plucky. I think a lot of times I've been thinking about this idea of pluckiness Mm -hmm. and how it's like, are you really standing up against something? And I think Minerva genuinely is. She's like committing subversive act after subversive act. I don't just mean like sexually. Mm -hmm. Like she decides to sacrifice all of her opportunities at like marriage and Mm -hmm. financial stability and a life away from her mother so that she can tell people about dinosaurs Mm -hmm. and the fact that she seeks out dinosaurs. I think she's genuinely plucky. She's certainly genuinely subversive. Mm -hmm. But then at the end of our story, she goes to live in a little cottage Mm -hmm. on her boyfriend's property Mm -hmm. so that they can court Mm -hmm. and then they get married. What do we do with that ending? (laughs) What do we do with that ending? After our plucky heroine with her sea slug sheets and... Like, one of the things that I really love about this novel is the moments of vulnerability with Minerva, where we learn that, like, she's always been attracted to Colin, but she didn't want to be attracted because he was supposed to fall in love with her much more beautiful sister. Mm -hmm. And she has given up all hope of marriage because she... She doesn't think herself beautiful, and, like, part of that's because of the evil mother, but also a lot of that comes from this, like, beautiful moment where it's, like, she didn't have glasses, for a really long time and didn't know that there was definition in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that she was stupid because she couldn't read it, because she couldn't see the letters, because not only did she need glasses, but she was farsighted. And at the moment of Regency England, there are very few places that can even test for that. And, like, there's this whole thing about, like, the scientific motion of bifocals, which is really interesting. But, like, all that aside, like, she has some real moments of vulnerability that don't quite square with the end. Yeah. I don't know. Do we like the novel less because of its, like, neat ending? I kind of wish maybe that the story had ended with her at the National Geological Mm -hmm. Society, at the Royal Geological Society, telling Colin, like, I'm just not going to present my findings. Because they won't let her in because she's an unmarried woman. Yeah, I'm just not going to present my findings, and I'm also not going to... He proposes that they wed... Right there. On the spot so that she can present. Very romantic. Very romantic, but I like that she says no to that. I kind of wish she would have just said no. But she loved him. I mean, we could have ended the story there and I would have been satisfied. Because ultimately for me, my investment was in that relationship, but it was mostly in Minerva. Right. Colin's like ho-hum, except the way in which he loves Minerva. And like, that's also very interesting. Like, I don't like him on his own merits. I like the way in which he interacts with Minerva. Yeah, my my beef, I guess, is I don't know who that ending is for. I think it's, like, for the genre, and I think that's, like, one yeah. of the things where it's, like, you stop at the wedding, and, like, one of the things, so this is a, this is book two in a series of five, so you see Minerva again in Any Duchess Will Do, which is the next book, and then you see her again at the very end, and she's, like, the last one of this cadre of women to give birth and like there's this scene where Colin's beside himself and like they've waited all this time to have kids you know which is nice you know I I love scenes where old-timey husbands like don't know what to do with themselves and like drink themselves sick because they're so worried about their wives because one in eight women die in childbirth at this yeah. time and I also like that Romance novels don't shy away from that fact. That women die in childbirth? All the time, and that, like, men manifest that worry physically. Yeah, but that's women as tragic figures. That's true. I don't think, yeah. I mean, it's, like, a tragic fact. Biologically tragic. But also, like, true. Yeah. 
also like scarily prescient now in our modern moment where 26 out of a thousand American women are dying in childbirth. But it's still, I think like, in the genre it functions as like a biological tragedy. It does. And of being a woman. Right. Also like the fear of falling pregnant, especially in historical novels, I continually find God, I love that phrase, falling pregnant. Yeah. As though oh. you could just tumble into it. <laughs> And, like, one of the other things that I think is really progressive about the genre, especially talking about the consequences, good and bad, of sex, is that absolutely no illusions are made that it's a fucking double standard and that women are 100% fucked by it. Yeah, yeah. The double standard is, I think, critical to how the genre moves, mm-hmm. right? It's, it is the critical mover. And I think maybe that's why historical romances work so well mm-hmm. because it's such a key mover mm-hmm. and it's easy and built in and mm-hmm. i mean we'll probably talk about this whenever we talk about contemporary romances but it's a little harder to manufacture mm-hmm. such a strident double standard as such an affecting one mm-hmm. and to do it without any nuance because right. obviously the double standard exactly. still exists yeah. in the moment but we have to talk about it in a kind of nuanced way because it doesn't exist because of like the miracle of the pill and IUDs and like women and liberation and Twitter but like it so clearly does I mean it it does but it doesn't operate in the same way right. that we can talk about it in a romance novel of its contemporary moment where it's like, it's so unfair that women, quote unquote, fall pregnant and like, yeah. men can leave the situation. I also really love the idea that like the phrase, somebody should bring him up to scratch. And like, you should fucking propose to the women that you had sex to because she just became pregnant. Yeah. And like, you need to be brought up to scratch and marry her. I love finding the origins of these phrases. That's these where texts. that comes from. Bringing I a man up cl- to scratch. I always thought claptrap meant mm. someone with chlamydia. Isn't that what that means? You've got the clap. No, it's like this whole other... Hold on. I looked it up using my handy dandy... Kindle. You can also talk about other sexual diseases that are present in the historical romance novel genre. Syphilis, called the French disease, and or... Oh, God, what are they called? I don't... Is that in this one? It's not. But, like, people are aware of sexually transmitted diseases, and they're concerned about them. French letters, a.k.a. condoms, are talked about in the historical genre in a way that I find fascinating. Also, the pull-out method is, like weirdly effective in this genre which is not my colloquial understanding of that birth control method okay claptrap noun absurd or nonsensical talker ideas such sentiments are just pious claptrap origin mid-18th century denoting something designed to elicit applause Oh, a claptrap. A claptrap. That's good. I like that. I love finding out that stuff. That's really good. What else do we want to say about Minerva and Colin? Let's compare Minerva's conflict to Colin's conflict. Okay. Colin's parents were in a carriage accident, Mm -hmm. and he was trapped in the carriage with them. Mm -hmm. And they died tragically. And they died tragically. His mother Mm -hmm. died slowly slowly on top of him or something crazy like that. She tried to comfort him because he was really young. He was like 10, and she's like, don't worry, my brave boy. Right. And then the wolves came to eat the horses because he lives at the border of Scotland and England in the north. Uh, yeah, wolf say. country. Wolf country in 1818. In a wolf country, dreams <laughs> stay, stay with, with you. you. <laughs> 
I never knew that about the border of Scotland and England. Is that how they chose the border? They're like, I don't want to go past these wolves. And then the Scottish were like, me neither. I believe a Roman named Hadrian chose the border between Scotland and England. But I'm not a scholar, so I don't know. Was, uh, so was the wolf thing important to him? No, the... (laughs) The next romance novel that I want us to read is The Last Wolf of Scotland. Like, actually, the whole idea that there are no big predators in Europe is, like, a big thing. Especially, it's changed its ecosystem, and there haven't been big predators in Europe since the 1850s because everybody murdered all of them. Yeah. Anyway. So, we know Beauty and the Beast happened before the 1850s. Oh, yeah. It had to. It also definitely happened before the French Revolution. Are you serious? (laughs) No! I wasn't even a little bit serious! I can't believe you fell for it. I was all like, "Be our guest citizens." You have nothing to lose but your chains and your curses. Anyway, Minerva and Colin. You're yeah, the servants your- are super into mm, being servitude. servants. Yeah, definitely, definitely pre-revolution. What if? What if what? Cogsworth and Lumiere? What if Cogsworth? And Lumiere. I mean, obviously, Cogsworth is deeply in love with Lumiere, who swings both ways, or always, always he's, already. He's swinging. He's burning the candle of both ends. Somebody say. Ayo! <laughs> anyway, the vulnerabilities and traumas. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're talking about a kid who watched his parents die in a carriage. Yeah. No, so he, like, watched it, and it, like, Causes him to have nightmares. Mm. To add salt to the wound, mm. he cries out in his sleep at Eaton. Yep. And kids beat him up for it. Yeah. You're really mean at Eaton. Yeah. I've never read a romance novel that was nice about Eaton. And yet they always mention Eaton. They do. That's where you go before you go to Oxford or Cambridge. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so he cries. <laughs> he doesn't have any friends. He can't come into his majority until he's 25. Yeah. So he's hanging out in this What's place. come into his majority mean? It means that he reaches I mean, an I age know what it means, but where he can inherit. Okay. It's all about primogenitor and like blah 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 inherit his seat in lords, which he can't take up until he's either over the age of 21 or 25. And in this novel it's 25. Minerva's 22 by the way and she's already on the shelf as it's called. Yep, she she missed too many seasons. I don't even think Minerva had a season. Diana had two seasons. Diana, her older sister, had two seasons. Her little sister gets a season. Yep. In Scandal. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Colin watches his parents die. It's very formative. I've got to fuck somebody every night. Otherwise I I can't sleep. Otherwise I can't sleep. And it's like, well, are you just scared of sleeping alone? No. He has to also physically exhaust himself. He's also got to milk the cow. He's got to drain the snake. (laughs) Or else he has too much energy. Nightmares. Can you imagine no. what it must have been like no. for him to discover masturbation? <laughs> At Eaton? Because, can I be real? I don't be think real. he's discovered masturbation in mm. his life. I think it would solve a lot. I think he could, like, masturbate and I don't have think a bunk mate. masturbate into physical exhaustion. I'm not sure that that's how that works. One time, when I was staying at a hostel... <laughs> I don't even know where this is going. (laughs) There was a man staying in the same hostel room as me. He came back at like four in the morning. Mm. 
and he racked off. The whole bunk bed moved. Oh, Jesus. His feet were by my head. Oh, oh God. The whole bunk bed moved. Mm. I think he could have masturbated himself to physical <laughs> exhaustion. Most of us don't have that ability and or the physical prowess. Like, I think, no, Isabeau, I think everyone here has that ability Morgan. to masturbate themselves into physical exhaustion. Morgan. I'm about to get real, dear romance listeners. <laughs> we can edit it out later. Okay. Um, you like set up straight in bed tomorrow morning. <gasps> Here's the thing. I'm like, I'm not even afraid to admit this. Like, right? Because like, obviously I explore I can tell. I've been doing it a long time. I can tell that you're not afraid to admit it by all this lead up you have to admitting it. Here's the thing. <laughs> so when I first moved to Chicago and I applied for 281 jobs and didn't get any of them. Is that real? 281? Is yeah, I had to count? I had to make an Excel spreadsheet because I accidentally applied to the same job twice. And the guy who was like, you've already applied to this. And we already said no to you. <laughs> so I made an Excel spreadsheet. It was a dark time in Isabeau's life. Yeah. It's before grad school. The off- Once you get a master's, right? the offers rain. <laughs> Anyway, I, I had a really bad day, and I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to, like, fucking beat off, and yeah. I'm going to, like, beat it away, because that's what I need. That's what my body needs. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And then when I got up in the morning at 9 and had a cup of coffee and decided to, like, masturbate, and then I didn't stop masturbating until much later in the day. I don't know where the sun was. But when I stopped, my fingers were pruny, and I was like, I have to Stop, because the actual transformation of the feel of my fingers doesn't feel as good as it did at the beginning. And maybe this says something about me, and also I should probably hydrate. (laughs) Point being, I wasn't physically exhausted, but I was emotionally sated. I will say... I feel like the the masculine orgasm, the male orgasm, as it were, as it were, is different from the female orgasm. I love it when people are like, and she felt replete. I'm like, I feel replete for 10 seconds, and I'm like, I could do that again. But they always make the point, right? Stand-up comedians. What do stand-up comedians say? They always are like, after you finish having sex and the girl still wants to talk and cuddle, it's like, oh, I'm just tired. And here's... I don't Boys think they gross. would say it. I don't think they would say it if it weren't true. I think that's right. That feels right. That feels correct. Anyway. I'm Anyways, we can't just spend the whole time poking holes in the romance novel. Here's the thing, though, right? Like, this is this is an ideal romance novel. It's got a plucky heroine on a scale of, like, Elizabeth Bennet to, like, Emma. She's <laughs> on the Elizabeth side. Yeah, she's definitely on the Elizabeth side. She also loves her sister, both of them, but mostly Diana, who she's trying to save from a marriage of convenience rather than love. Uh-huh. Colin admires, supports, and loves Minerva. And, like, kneels before her stronger intellect, supports her unreservedly, yeah. tries to make all of her geological dreams come true. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a perfect romance novel. He does. He tries to... The only thing that's not perfect about it, other oh. than the ending, which we've talked about, yeah. is that Cunnilingus comes so late. Cunnilingus kind of late to the party. So late to the party. It's the last sex act of the fucking novel. Um, do you know what? Up I, against a wall. I've also got this thing where, uh, in romance novels, where... I like it when Cunnilingus comes first. The woman will perform oral sex on BJ's. the man. BJ's. BJ's happen. And then whenever Cunnilingus shows up, the internal monologue of our heroine is like, Oh my God! With his mouth? I smell bad! (laughs) It's like, you already did it. Yeah. (laughs) I agree. I don't like that trope, even if it feels true. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, even if it rings a little true. But I guess that's kind of the thing about this genre is that it's written by women. For women. By women, for women, or whatever your identity is, you're usually writing for your same Right, and I think, I think there's something... shared experience. I think the idea that cunnilingus comes after blowjobs <laughs> and P&V, reproductive copulation, says something about the way in which women inhabit their bodies. Reproductive... <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, the idea that cunnilingus is more intimate than any other sex act is really, I think, misleading, but also, like, it's misleading culturally. Yeah. And, like, the moment that we're living in is, like, Western women, where it's like, it's so intimate to have a space between my thighs. I like this character you're workshopping. <laughs> it's the pearl-clutching mother. Her name is Karen. Karen! <laughs> it's so intimate. Karen. Karen. Sorry, Karen. Sorry, Karen. Still not sorry, Melissa. <laughs> Melissa, you were so mean. Melissa, this has been a long time coming. <laughs> I'm sure you're very nice now. Whatever, Melissa. You were <laughs> born Melissa. a monster. You're gonna die a monster. Monster, Minerva, Min. A week to be wicked. Womance. Womance. <laughs> Uh, for those of you who aren't watching the official television show Romance. of Romance, we are drinking Andre Champagne out of Einstein Bagel Brothers paper coffee cups. We are. It's important for our listeners to know that Morgan and I are classy goddamn dames. <laughs> classy dames. Classy goddamn dames. Um, also, shout out to Trader Joe's for hiring Isabeau so she'd stop <laughs> masturbating herself to pretty fingers. Thanks for giving her something to do during the day. Thanks, TJ's. Real lifesaver <laughs> in more ways than one. Um, also, if you are looking for your TJ's insider tips. Oh, hot. Make sure. Feature. This is a feature. This is a Trader Joe's tip feature. I'm only going to give one away per episode. I'm excited. Are you ready? Yeah. If you want to try something at Trader Joe's. Everyone Everyone knows this. That's not true. People really feel uncomfortable about this. And I want to encourage our listeners. Go up to a crewmate and say, I want to try this thing. They will open anything in the store for yeah. you. And they'll be super good at it because they might have pruny fingers. <laughs> I told that to you in confidence, Morgan, in front of all of our listeners. Who amongst us? Who amongst us hasn't had a dark day where we just spent it with ourselves? That's true. Is it? <laughs> anyway, please, 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 when you go to Trader Joe's, go up to your crewmate and ask them to open any goddamn thing you want. They want to because they want to eat it too. Open the cookie packages. Open the snack packages. Open the pickle jars. Mm, the pickle jars. What if I walked up to a Trader Joe's employee mm. and I said, will you open your heart to me? And they'd say, Morgan, I already did. That's the TJ's promise. <laughs> That's a, that's a romance novel. This Promise. has been TJ's Tips. Featured on Womance. Featured on Womance. That's the... Bounce, chicka, wah, wah. TJ's. <laughs> and Womance. Oh, God. TJ's. Proud, unsponsored member <laughs> of Womance. I know, we're not even... Well, you used to get paid by them. I did, a while ago. All right, let's wrap this puppy up. Final thoughts. Three words. Three words. On a Week to be Wicked by Tessa Dare. Plucky heroine. Two words down. Blowjobs. <laughs> Four words. Blowjob is one word. You. Troglodytes. Nice. Mm, good. Secret caves. Nice. Really good. 
This has been an episode of Romance with Isabeau. And Morgan. And thank you for listening. We can't wait to see you next time. Oh, hello there. It's me, Morgan. I just want to say thank you for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Our logo is by Mary Reichman, and our original music and editing is by Nick Gravelin. They're the best. Feeling woeful about waiting a whole week for more Womance? Well, turn that frown upside down, because you can follow us on Twitter at well underscore mance or Instagram, womance, all one word. You can also find us on Tumblr at womance.tumblr.com. If you prefer to be more direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com.